I believe we're all here this morning because of the faith that we share in the name above all names in Jesus' mighty name. Would everybody say amen to that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God? Amen. Do you believe that Jesus Christ uh, went to the cross and became our sin and died for all of our sin, sin past, present, and future? Amen. Do you believe that after he was crucified, he physically died, was physically placed inside of a grave, and at the end of three days and three nights in the grave that he resurrected from the dead? Amen. Those are the essentials of salvation. If we believe those things that we are a Christian, that we have begun a journey on a life that will be eternal, that it is eternal. We've entered into eternal life at that point, and that's the reality of the Word of God. That's the reality of the gospel message, that it costs Jesus dearly. And we think to ourselves, man, that sounds kind of simple, but it's not simple. You know, it's, it's a lifelong pursuit, but it's free, but it was very costly. And our responsibility is to stay connected to Christ. Stay connected regardless of the things that we go through, through faith, that we overcome this world by faith. That that's the, the key, that, you know, it's not about what we see. We don't uh, determine our lives or the outcomes of our lives by the things that we see or even the things that we feel, but we reconcile what the Word of God says and we say, so I'm going to believe that regardless of whether I feel it or not. That's faith right there. Let me read this scripture. This is in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understood that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. So that right off the top, that takes faith to believe that right off the top. That just like, that kind of scrambles the brain. But if that's what God says it is, he's not trying to mess with us. He's telling us truth, deep truth. And those things will permeate and get into us over time. And we say, okay, Lord, that's what you say. And I believe it. And we're going to uh, go through a listing or I'm not going to go tonight, today, but I just want to go to the next one. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that... He was righteous, God testifying in the gifts, and through it, uh, being dead, dead believes, um, dead still speaks. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's pretty fantastic right there. When you hear that, that there was a person historically known as Enoch that had such a walk with God, had such a, a intimacy with God that God says, you know what, Enoch, you're not even going to have to face death at this point, but I'm just going to take you right off the earth. And he just walked with God to the point he entered into uh, eternity, ended up into a spiritual realm without having to go through the death process. So the principle is here, it's laid down in the book of Genesis early on in the first few, first few chapters of the Bible. And this was right before what we know as the uh, worldwide flood. And it says in verse 6, 
It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's why we come to church. That's why we fellowship. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we go to uh, Bible study is because we want to diligently seek the Lord. We spend our private time together with the Lord and we cry out to him and say, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know you more because God promises that he will he reward those who are diligent in their pursuit of him. Can anybody testify to that? Amen. Amen. He is a, he's, he's faithful to his word. If he, God says it, he means what he's saying. And I believe that that verse 5 in Hebrews 11 is a clue to something that God is desiring in his church today. That is, he's uh, speaking mysteries. And then it goes on in verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became the heir of righteousness, which is in according to faith. So there's two people there right off the top that we, you know, just looking at briefly here, because the Lord said this. He said, before he comes back, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns to the earth. We're seeing lots of conditions right now that are pointing in that direction, that it says the intentions of men were continually evil, and their earth was filled with violence, and there was also an intrusion of uh, fallen angels or the sons of God that came in and were intermingling with the, with the daughters of women and producing these offspring that became known as the Nephilim or the mighty men of renown. And we're thinking, wow, they, is this sort of thing happening today? Well, we're seeing an increase in violence. We're seeing an increase of wickedness as the world is more violent, not only uh, man to man, but even the weather conditions are extremely violent these days. It's not that we have a lot of times these gentle rains in their season. It seems like rain is withheld and all of a sudden they're, they're calling them these, these uh, streams of water just come in and just blast and rain bombs. And it's just, it's crazy. The world has gone violent. Right now, and the Lord says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before he returns. Now, he's wanting his people to be sanctified. And we're sanctified by faith, by our confession of faith. What we believe about Jesus Christ is essential, that he is God's only begotten son. That is an essential right there. It says in the book of John, it says, If anybody does not believe that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, this is in 1 John, he says that is the spirit of Antichrist. That if you don't have the, the proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is, you don't have the Father either. That's what the Word of God says. So you have to have a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. He's God's only begotten Son. He wasn't created. He was eternal with the Father. And yet at a certain point in history that we're going to be celebrating next month, that he came into the creation. It says, he get, again, he brings his firstborn into the creation. He incarnates into a flesh so that he could take upon the penalty that was due to us in the flesh and conquer the grave in the flesh and resurrected in the flesh. But now he's been transformed into a heavenly body. And as the book of Acts opens up, they're standing there and they're asking Christ, they're saying, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel, or king, uh, restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know times and seasons. But my father has put it in, you know, that's his knowledge. But says, go and uh, uh, spread this message of the gospel. But yet, there's times and seasons, and one of them was a, an elapsed period of time, Chronos, which is a, a long period of time, 
And then there's seasons where things would start to, um, like a season where we're seeing we're going from um, summer and we're into the fall right now and soon we'll be going into the winter. And as we channel through these seasons, things change. You know, if you're in the mainland and you went into the fall, all of a sudden all the colors in the trees would change. They would turn orange, red, yellow, and all the leaves would start falling. I see it in Wesley's house and I feel for him that he has to rake all those leaves up in his yard. Times and seasons, times and seasons. So there's chronos, there's an elapsed amount of time, and then there's a changing of season. Could you, could you say that the seasons are changing in the world right now? Yes. I think we could all say that. So he says, for not, he told his disciples, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but then there's a lot written about the times and the seasons, and I think we're living in the times and the seasons of the Lord returning. Because he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. And we're seeing these things taking place right now. We're seeing them tampering with DNA. They're, they're making Crimea, which is an animal-human hybrid, that they're doing these experiments. They've been doing them for decades. Decades. They've created abominations that are an affront to God. Um, There are secret bases that they're doing these things on. There's governments, China. It's just wide open. I read a book years ago, and it was called Next. It was by Michael Crichton that talked about these sorts of things, and it was astounding. He goes, everything I'm writing about in this book is happening right now. And it was amazing. He had an African gray parrot that is one of the smartest animals, and they crossbred it with human DNA, so this parrot was like smart as a person and could talk. And it's like, he goes, these things are happening right now. These things displease God. These things are an abomination to God. These kind of things bring judgment on the earth. And we're seeing this. This is the same thing that was happening in the days of Noah. They were corrupting the pure lines, the pure seed. They were corrupting it. And God had to bring judgment. But he also promises that I have not appointed my church to wrath. If we are sanctified, we're set apart for the, for the Lord, then we have hope beyond anything in this world. And we don't have to fear, but we um, give God praise and we give Him glory. These things that um, I'm going to talk about this morning uh, briefly are, they're called a mystery. There's number one, it's called the mystery of iniquity is already at work. It says that at one point there's an Antichrist character coming in in 1 John. He says in the last days, there says that there's many Antichrists, many small, small a Antichrists, people that are opposed to the message of the gospel. There are people that are opposed to the work of Christ. They're hostile to the Christians. They're hostile to the work of the gospel. But then there's also this personage who's called the the large A Antichrist. And it says before the judgment of God hits, before the tribulation hits, this Antichrist figure will be made known. It says the mystery of iniquity is already working. That which withholds will withhold until he be taken out of the way. I believe it's the presence of the Holy Spirit within, sanctifying presence of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ that began on the day of Pentecost. And as Peter gave that speech on the day of Pentecost, he talked about that an outpouring of his Spirit in the last days. When you hear the last days, that could mean, uh, you know, we, the, the earth, if you reckon it to the Bible in a strict measure, a lot of people realize, or believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old. So the last days, we're, we had 4,000 years of history before Christ at the cross, and then we have 
Not one day, a thousand year period, according to Peter. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. So we have the last days. So if you put it into days, it would be 2,000 years. The last days. So that's a long time. You're thinking, wow, the last days, that's been a coming. And they've been talking about this when the apostles were here. But it's a span of what we call the church age that was a mystery. In the book of Ephesians, says the church was something that was not known in the Old Testament. It was something that was revealed to the Apostle Paul. And he spoke about this gathering together of saints of Jewish background, as well as Gentile background, together in one body. And that constitutes the church. We're living in the church age right now. But we're coming to the end of the church age right now. And like I said last week, there is, according to the book of Daniel, 70 weeks that were ascribed to the nation of Israel. And there was prophecies that were given in Daniel 9. And um, 69 of those weeks, or years of seven, have been fulfilled. But there's one seven-year period that is left undone with the nation of Israel. And in that period of time... It's going to kick off with a disclosure of this man of sin. But he's coming in and he's going to look like a really good guy. And in fact, I hear these world leaders talking about this at this point right now. They're calling him, him. We're waiting for him to come in. And they're not specifying a name right now, but they're speaking of, we're waiting on him. We're setting this up for him. And it's just like, who is the him? Well, according to the Bible, it's the Antichrist, and he's waiting in the wings, but he cannot come on the scene until the church is taken out, according to the book of Thessalonians. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is a chapter that talks about resurrection, but it also talks about the rapture or the changing of our bodies at that moment. Chapter 15 also has encapsulated within that chapter 15, 1 through 8 is the gospel. If you ever want to know what the gospel is, there it is. Um, a simple laying out of what the gospel is. I had us recite it this morning to make sure because we want to know that we're in Christ. We want to know that we've been qualified in Christ. Because there's scary things coming on the future if you're not in Christ. If you're in Christ, we have no fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Let me read from chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 50. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Here it is, Paul laying it out. Something that wasn't known previously, wasn't known in the Old Testament. We hinted at it with Enoch, but this wasn't wholesale knowledge. A mystery in the, I think it's a Hebrew or the a Greek, it's called mysterion. It's something that was hidden, that was previously un unknown. Now it's been unveiled. So he's going to tell us this mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In the moment of the twinkling of an eye, of the eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be changed for this in this corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality and then the cor when corruption is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your sting O Hades where is your victory so this is the promise of this mystery that Paul was the one who was getting glimpses of these things. And he was um, sharing it. And like I said last week, he went to that church in Thessalonica. 
and he shared these things. He's there for three weeks, and he's telling them these deep revelations that he's giving, that he's getting. Um, he was sharing this deep revelation in First and Second Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord. And what happened was, they were going through some serious trials in the Thessalonian uh, community, church community. And they felt like they had already were experiencing the tribulation period. And in fact, a false letter had been circulated through the church and says, you guys missed the rapture of the church. You guys missed it, and you're going into the tribulation. And Paul says, i got to correct this, this uh, error. And so he writes this letter. But the first letter that he wrote, it says this in uh, 1 Thessalonians. In fact, in every portion of this chapter or this book, at the end of the chapter, it's a word of comfort to the church. He's comforting the church. He says, keep your eyes on this. You, you're going to go through some hardship, but keep your eyes on this. It says in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, it says, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the first comfort at the end of chapter 1. At the end of chapter 2, it says, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is not even you in the presence of the Lord? Jesus Christ, it is coming, for you are our glory and our joy. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3, verse 13, So that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before God our Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So when the Lord comes back, what's going to happen? Those who had died, they're saying, what about our, 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 our family members who died? And Jesus didn't come back yet. What happens with them? He says that he's going to bring with those saints with him. He's going to bring them back. And it's not, he's not coming back to the earth. He's not going to touch down on the earth. He's coming in the clouds, it says. And we're going to meet him in the air, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we're thinking, well, I thought it, it says in the book, in the Bible, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's true. The spirit and the soul leave the body at death. The, the body itself, the physical body is like a shell. And that is placed in the ground, or it's placed in a grave. Or nowadays, you know, we cremate bodies, we put the ashes in an urn, or we scatter them. But what happened is when Jesus was resurrected, he came back and he told his disciples specifically, look at the wounds in my hands. Look at the, 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 the pierced side over here. It was the same body. It was, it was a resurrected body. So God is able to take whatever our DNA makeup is and give us a new body, a glorified body it's called about, it, it's talked about in 1 Corinthians, a glorified body. And that's what we're going to receive in the clouds. So we're going to have a body like Christ when we get up there. It's not complete. Paul had a vision when he was stoned to death. He goes, whether it was in my body, I don't know. Whether it was out of my body, I don't know. Christ knows. God knows. But I saw things up there. And I was, he was like, he was having this vision, this, um, this thing where he felt like, I feel like I had a body. But apparently it wasn't that completed state that Christ is talking about here. It says... In verse 13 of chapter uh, 4. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say that you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, who will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
So that means that anybody who has died is already in heaven with Christ, but when he comes back, he's coming back with those saints to meet us in the air, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Whatever remnants of their body is going to meet them in the air, they'll have a body like Christ, and then we, it says, for this we say to you, verse 15, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will no, my, no means precede those who are asleep, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And, uh, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting message. It's a message of comfort. It's a message that says this is our inheritance. This is our inheritance that we have. It goes on in verse, chapter, um, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they, not us, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that they should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light, not, uh, and not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, and whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. So as times, you know, if they look dark, or we're wondering about, where is this all headed? Where is this all headed? We, we know ultimately, excuse me, that according to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, there's a man of sin, the Antichrist, the lawless one, who's going to come, who's going to force everyone at some point in the near future to take a mark on their right hand or in their forehead. And unless you do this, you cannot buy or sell. You will be excluded from the marketplace. Therefore, anybody who's a believer, a confessor of Christ at that point would have to go underground, would have to go into hiding. It's going to be at the peril of your life to confess Christ at that moment. We can see this thing shaping up in that direction. Could you agree with me? Yeah. I mean, we can see it happening. I mean, we were just talking about it this morning, and we were saying, wow, you know it's getting serious when you go to uh, Costco and they say, well, I need to see your vaccination card before we let you in here. And somebody says, well, I think they'd be the last ones. And somebody else said, I think they'd be the first one. I remember going to Costco years ago, and I'm just looking at the way that place is set up, and I'm thinking, man, this doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. You got one entrance. It's a concrete building with really no windows on that thing. And you got people guarding the front, the exit, and the entrance to that building. How easy that would be to lock that down. Not only that, we're making all kinds of strict rules on all these side business, Pukalati Soup Red, uh, Hanzawa store, all these mom and pop stores. We're, it seems like they're deliberately trying to put these guys out of business. So that you only have the big players that will play by these global rules. And 
I believe that the Lord will take care of his people. I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm saying we need to drive into the comfort of Christ. We need to make sure that we're in Christ. Because this is the only solution. Remember I told you that it feels like in society we're being herded down this, this uh, chute. We're being rounded up right now. But the reality of it is we're not amongst the cattle. We went through the door of the sheep and, and the Lord says, You're my sheep. Get out of line with that. Get over here. And that's who we really are in Christ. We have to know that we have, we have salvation already. We have salvation. But this is where it's headed. We have this message. We have this understanding. But I believe that the full-blown evil, the appearance of the Antichrist, will not, according to the Word of God, will not take place until the church is taken out. And I want to, you know, we just saw in here in two chapters, we saw it in Thessalonians, we saw it in Corinthians, but it talks about this trumpet blast that would preclude or would pre proceed the calling up of the church, would call up the, the, the people of God. We see that in the book of Revelation in the first chapter. He says, John, he says, I was um, in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard like a voice, like a trumpet speaking to me. And the Lord appeared to him, and he showed him these things, and he showed him, he goes, write down the things which you're seeing, you, what you have saw, write the things which are, which is the chapter 2 and 3 about the church, and the things that will take place after this, after this. And in these first two chapters, the word church is named about 19 times, and we don't hear the word church again until chapter 22. We don't see the church. The church is taken out. And I want to show you where I believe that takes place. This is John after the four or the seven letters, the churches. And these promises are prescribed to those who overcome. It says that we overcome by the, the, the blood of Christ and the word of our testimony. We overcome by our faith. That we have faith in the word of God. We have faith in his plan of salvation. And every one of these letters, there's a, a prescription. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. To him who overcomes. Part of it is to be girded, to be with a white robe that's unstained, untainted from the world. It says that we are his bride. It says he's coming back from a bride for a bride without spot or wrinkle. That we're, you know, it says that, you know, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we sin, just like we did in communion this morning, we confess it, Lord, forgive me for this. And we lay it before him and he cleanses us with his blood and we're white. And that robe is white. It says without spot or wrinkle is what he's coming back for in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, it says this. After these things, that word that I said, write the, the things that you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. And it says here, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Let me read here. Um, to the church of Philadelphia, verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things, says he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. What are keys for? Open doors. You can do things with keys, right? It says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. And no one can shut it, and you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere. Persevere means to hang in there when it gets tough, not to quit. 
but to hang in there, right? It says, I will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world, which will, uh, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I'm coming quickly, hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in my temple of my God, and it shall go out no more, and I'll write on him a new name of my God, in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him a new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Right after that, he goes into the church of Laodicea. One of the things that they were lacking, they said, man, we have it all. We have wealth. We have this. We have that. And the Lord says, I rebuke you. You act as if you're rich, but you're poor. You act as if you can see, but you're blind. You act as if you're clothed, but you're naked. I counsel to you to do these things. And he says, what are the things? Buy for me. Get a white robe that you're ashamed of your nakedness that would not be seen. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We have the robe of Christ's righteousness. He's given it to us. Right after that, chapter 4. Excuse me, my nose is ready. After, meta tauta, these things, I looked, and behold, the door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. To me, it's very simple, right there. And then it goes on. So we, we're hearing a voice like a trumpet, just like it said in Thessalonians, just like what it said in Corinthians. There's a voice like a trumpet. You know, it's interesting. Um, it says that we're sons of light. We're not sons of darkness anymore. We're sons of the light. It's interesting when you learn a little bit about light, they say light is a confusing thing. Light is a wave. So it's, it's, it's got amplitude. It's going through the atmosphere like this. But it's also a beam. It's actually something physical. It's a light and it's a beam at the same time. Sound is a wave. Sound is a wave. And so I'm wondering... If God in His infinite wisdom, this trumpet blast is attuned to a certain way that resonates with our body and it transformed us, boom, like that. Could that be the case? I think it could. That there's a certain sound that when it hits us, it resonates with our bodies that it be born again in Christ and they're boom. God knows the difference between the one who has faith in Christ who's been born again and those who don't. And at that trumpet blast, all of a sudden people are gone. It sounds like science fiction, but this is the Word of God. And we base our faith upon the Word of God. It says it. It says it. This is going to happen. If we know prophecy, if we study the, 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 uh, the mass of the Scriptures, the body of the Scriptures, we say, I can trust God because I've seen what He said come to pass. He even said that. I'm telling you this beforehand, when it does come to pass, that you may believe. Amen? So we go, I'm going to run... Uh, on your own time, for chapter 4 and 5, chapter 6. Go to chapter 6 in closing. Of chapter 6, verse 1. I saw the Lamb, I, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Now, like I have to go back a little bit. There's a scene in heaven immediately after he says, Come up hither. And there's a scene before the throne of God. The 24 elders was representative of the church standing before the throne of God. His, his uh, throne is glory. There's a sea of glass like mingled with fire. There's a rainbow over his, altar, over his throne room that looks like an a emerald rainbow. And it's just glory. And people are casting their crowns down there and worshiping the Lord. It's all of a sudden this glorious scene in heaven. 
And then they show a lamb that looked like it was slain come out. And he's holding, they they're, they're have a scroll in their hand. Who's worthy to open this scroll? And nobody on heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth was able to open that. Not even to look at it. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene. And it says, don't cry, son of man. Don't cry, John. Because the lion from the tribe of Judah has prevailed that he is worthy to open this scroll. The title deed of the earth, our redemption, the culmination of his victory, finally. And he starts breaking the seals. And the first seal that is broken is chapter 6 is this. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown. And was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. That ain't Jesus Christ. That's the Antichrist. He comes in and he's riding away. He's a counterfeit of Christ. He's riding on a white horse. Just like if you were to watch a movie where it looks like it's all over. And then the good guy comes riding in on a white horse right at that prescribed moment. This is a counterfeit of Jesus Christ here. He comes riding in. He don't have arrows, but he got a bow. And he's acting like, oh, and he's got a, a crown on his head, which is a Stephanos, but like a, a wreath of victory, like a victor's crown on his head. And he goes out like a deceiver because he's mimicking or he's aping Christ. He's acting as if he's Christ, but he's not Christ. And people who don't know this and never received the love of the truth, the Lord says, because you did not receive the love of the truth, I give you over to delusion. This guy's going to be so appealing. That CNN is going to be heralding this guy. Where was he at? How come it took him so long to get here? It's because the church was withholding this. He'd like to be on the scene right now, but he cannot come yet. But when this takes place, that trumpet blast blows, the church is taken out. The first horse that rides is the white horse. And if he's not the Antichrist, if this is Jesus Christ, like I've heard some people preach, he's riding in some bad company. He's riding with the war horse. He's riding with the death horse. He's riding with the pestilence horse. He's riding with the famine horse. Jesus Christ wouldn't be riding with those horses. This is the Antichrist. We see this being set up right now. It says in Matthew 24, we're living in troublous times, but we're not in the tribulation period yet. It says that there will be wars and rumors of war. You guys been hearing any rumors of wars lately? My goodness, man. China, I don't know what their thing is. Why don't you guys just stay over there and make stuff? You know? It's like, we want the Philippines. We want Japan. We want Australia. We want India. We want the U.S. Apart from the U.S. citizens. These people are out of control. Not to say that America is, doesn't have blood in their hands too. Root wars and rumors of wars. It says there would be earthquakes in diverse places. Places that never had earthquakes. All these things were seen, but it's not the tribulation period yet. This is the ramp up to it. Once that white horse, once the trumpet blasts, the thing that was restraining this, this person of lawlessness will be taken out and he's coming on the scene. Our job is, number one, to let people know that this is what's happening right now. That there is hope in Jesus Christ. It's not a hopeless situation. It says that many in this time, would they just give in to it? It's just too depressing. It's too hard. And just go, praise God for Maui and Marcy, that that's one of the avenues of supposed escape is to just 
get immersed in substance abuse. I just want to numb it out. I don't even want to know. That's not a solution. That's the Jesus Christ is the only solution. Amen. Jesus Christ is coming back. We are his body. We are his bride. We are his people. We should be rejoicing in that reality. Keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord. He has not appointed his church to wrath. It's not to say that it's not going to get kind of hard, but he has not appointed us to wrath. He says this time and period of history, it says there was never a time like this, nor ever will be after this. That's how rough it's going to be. But look up when you begin to see these, because your redemption is drawing nigh. And I bring this word to bring comfort to the church, to bring solidity of our faith. This isn't theory, this is reality. And it's happening before our eyes. So we can be excited to say, the Lord, you are the Lord. You are coming back. And I am part of you. And I'm waiting upon you. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. That's exciting. That is exciting. In closing, let me read real quick one more scripture. Talking about the right horse, the white horse. This is in chapter 19, verse 11. It says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written on which no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, us, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. How many of you guys know what I ride horses, man? <laughs> Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with it, which should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads down the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has a name on his robe, on his thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the horse we're waiting for. Hallelujah.